Hello, everyone. Liam here. I want to welcome you to a very uh, special episode of Cinepunks. Most of what you need to know you will hear in the episode, but uh, we just wanted to record a quick intro and let you know uh, who it is we're talking to and why. James Harris is a horror fan, horror writer, podcaster, musician. He plays in a band called Mental Decay, uh, and you'll hear about uh, another one of his bands in the interview. But we sat down with James Harris at a benefit uh, screening that Exhum put together for him. James Harris is, uh, beyond being a fan and a charming individual, is also someone who has been diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. He's undergone surgery and chemo, but he's still fighting a very challenging fight against a disease which many people do not recover from. James is also someone who has been open and honest and very forthcoming with how he's doing. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he shares every moment of that struggle, but he is someone who has really advocated for people and really shared a little bit of what his experience is. We don't, on Cinepunks, often get an opportunity to sit down with someone and have such an honest and open conversation about something so serious. So this is a unique episode. As such, we don't do our usual gimmicks. We just don't. We don't do whacking on track. We don't do things to get hype on. Um, we're going to try to record an episode soon where we do those things. So if that's something that you love, we respect that and we love you. But when uh, Joseph Gervasi offered us this opportunity to sit down with James to really have a conversation with him, not just about his love of film, uh, not just about his experience as a horror fan, but about uh, his experience dealing with a serious illness, um, we took it seriously. And I just want to say we were honored. We just felt like this was a huge thing, an opportunity to share with you and something that maybe we weren't even sure if we were up to. So hopefully this interview is worth listening to. It was great to do. James is a fun guy. This is not a dour conversation or a conversation that uh, will bum you out. It is, in fact, though honest and real, fairly uplifting. So we hope you enjoy it. We are, um, I don't know if we're going to do anything like this again in the future, but this seems like a special conversation to share with you. So I just wanted to do a quick intro to let you know that's what you have ahead. Uh, sit back and listen to this uh, really great conversation. And thanks again to James, to uh, Joseph Gervasi, to all the Exhumed uh, folks and International House who hosted this benefit. And a huge thanks to every single person, every single one who showed up and gave a little bit of money, whether they were uh, doing the raffle, whether they were trying to win a prize. Um, a lot of people gave a lot of money, and, and there was a significant amount given to James's family to deal with medical expenses and, and other things. And it was just a day that I was proud to be a horror fan in the Philadelphia area. It's a, it's a great community, and I really respect all y'all. So thanks for checking us out. Tell your friends, and enjoy this episode. Thanks.
and my name is Josh Alvarez, and you're listening to Cinepunks. We're here at the uh, Zoom Double Feature. What, what's the date today? I guess we should tell people when, when this is. Today is January 15th. 15th. 2017. <laughs> January 15th, you know, 2017. I'm listening this far, far into the future. And they're like, what year is it, man? <laughs> yeah. So we are here with um, Mr. James Harris. Hello. And Mr. Joseph Gervasi. I feel like I'm talking into a penis. <laughs> he also it's really is very phallic looking. <laughs> and the way, a, the way you hold it is like a champ. It's called a shotgun. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that the gay folks really like your band because you, <laughs> re- you really hold that well. <laughs> Thank you, Joseph. I take that as a compliment. I think that's fair. Filipino, though. I think it's fair to take that as a compliment. <laughs> okay, so we are in the confines of the International House right now during the screening of um, Killer Clowns of Outer Space and Deadly Spawn. It's very warm and womb-like in here. We're in this back room that I didn't know existed, and I feel very strange about that it exists, and I'm back here. <laughs> it's like the House of Leaves, if you remember that book. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's stupider <laughs> on the inside than the outside. <laughs> the, the book, right? That's what we're talking about still? All right. So The furniture is very old, and there's just very like strange lamps and... Many posters. There's many posters of the red Crayola back here. Yeah, definitely moodier this way. And nobody is wearing pants. Not a single person. Hey, can I get a piece of that donut? It's called Donald Ducking because we have our shirts on but no pants. I don't care. I don't have the kind of cooties that's communicable through communicable through a donut. Non donut communicable. Other means that we'll discuss later. Kills the 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 germs. Scientifically proven. Yeah. So, um, we are here for our friend James. How are you doing, James? Uh, I'm doing well, you know, and uh, I'm really glad to be here and be a part of this event that, you know, Zoom is putting on for for me, you know. I I got sick or was diagnosed with a a pretty nasty form of cancer a little over a year ago. And, uh, you know, it surprised surprised me and my family, and uh, we've just kind of been kind of fighting forward ever since, you know, different chemos, and they had to go in and check it out, you know, via surgery and some radiation and whatnot, so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a long year. But, a long year. Uh, but it, not that it culminates in this, but that this event is happening is just a testament to how uh, strong the horror community's been, and just, you know, it's, it's the reason that you know, Exhumed films, you know, everybody's joked around that I got a tattoo of, you know, the, the horathon on my arm. Well, the reason I did that was because of that, that feeling of community. And uh, it's, it's really, uh, this event happening shows why I got that. How long have you been coming to Exhumed films for? Uh, since the third horathon. So it's not... What is that? Is that eight years now, about? Yeah, I guess that's about yeah, right. About yeah, it's, it sounds, yeah. Because you're coming up on the 20th year for Exhumed Total, mm-hmm. and then the 10th Horathon will be coming up this year. So, yeah, so I've been going since the third, and I haven't missed one since. I missed the first two, and somebody told me about it on the third one. They said, you've got to come to these events. This is probably something you're into. And before that, I hadn't even been interested in 35 millimeter or anything. Do we think you're the only person with a 24-hour horathon tattoo? Is that... Can we get confirmation on that? I've never heard of anyone else. Uh, so 
Yeah, I believe he's the only one. I don't. I mean, no members of the group even have any Exhumed Films tattoos. That's amazing. It, it didn't start out as a complete joke. There was me, Jesse and I had been talking at one point, and he had said that uh, you know you thought about maybe having a tattoo artist come, but that you know of course there's there's always health issues with tattoo artists coming to events and whatnot. So very hard to get licensing in the state to to go for it. And I was like, well. I'd like to just kind of surprise everybody because I've wanted to do it for so long. I know exactly what I wanted to do. I will say I didn't want to do it quite as big as it was. I wanted it to be a little smaller. And the artist that I did it with said, if you want the writing to kind of stay over a long period of time, you'll do it larger and you'll thank yourself for it. And I said, excellent. I don't mind. I think it's a great, you know, it's a great thing to do. So, you know. How do I bribe you to get a Loudfast Philly tattoo? Or a Cinepunks tattoo? Well, I have to go to those events. I have to get in there. But I have to get down to Philly more. And the problem is that I live up you know, about two hours away here from here. So. Where do you live? Uh, up in Hackettstown, New Jersey. So northwest New Jersey. It's about an hour out of Pennsylvania, but two hours away from Philly. So it does get difficult. I have three kids at home, so you know, even weeknights are just peril. Getting around and trying even to get to bed, I'm amazed I get to bed some nights. That, but <laughs> what was your introduction to all this? How did you come into the world of horror? Uh, so, so horror started off with my parents. My parents were both horror fans. Uh, they liked different things. My mother liked Vincent Price and Christopher Lee and Bela Lugosi, and my father liked uh, more sci-fi. But he got into the gore stuff. He got also into Stephen King. And so they would uh, fight about what I was allowed to watch. So my dad would let me watch everything, and my mother was, was just completely opposed to all that. So uh, my father said, anything you can hold your eyes over, you're good, and no, no, nothing sadistic. And sadistic meant I couldn't watch Mark of the Devil, Last House on the Left, I Spit on Your Grave, anything where there was a slasher, I wasn't allowed to watch. And that was it. Did, it, did that make those things very interesting to those you? Those movies became the first movies I rented. <laughs> the minute that the guy at the video store stopped asking my parents for permission when they just saw I was renting anything, those are the first movies I picked up. Fun House was another big one. He must have thought it was horrible, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't nearly as, uh, you know, graphic as he remembered it. But uh, I, I'd have to say, I mean, I spit on your grave. I think Last House on Your Left, probably some good calls in there. Yeah. It, the appropriate parenting. Can I back up a little bit? Where did you grow up? Where was this all happening? Same area, Hackettstown. I, I've lived right. pretty much there my, my entire life. Uh, so so gradually, I've just you know kind of stayed with it. I went through you know different phases. You know, I go through my went through my Italian phase, as everyone kind of does. You start to discover your own you know uh, movie phases. You look in the back of Fangoria, you see they've got a giant bootleg catalog, and when you discover this bootleg catalog, you get it. You look at it, it's like. Wow, what are what is that nun doing on this this out this cover? Or not when you're watching that? Wow, there's a last house to the left too. No, there's not a last house to the left too, but, but it does have the title. Right, but it does have the title, and they will put the poster on it, and you will order it under the name Last House on the Left too, even though it's it's not. So, you know, I think that you, it kind of was an evolution. Was you know? that Last House on the Beach? <sighs> I, I can't even remember. I mean, I never ordered from them. I always collected these catalogs and thought of them as these. These coveted items that I'd love to, to find, but never never truly got yeah, into. Yeah, be my my living for many years was selling those bootleg things yeah. uh, under all their various uh, titles and yeah. incarnations out of uh, you know ten generations down from a Japanese laser disc that was uh, pubically fogged. Yes. Uh, yes. But was like the best copy in the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my other source for all that was the Leonard Maltin movie book. It's a giant movie book, whatever, a thousand pages. Go through, you highlight which movies you want to see. And all those movies were movies that he 
would have a giant turkey on. That was what how he would rate. He rated uh, Lucio Fulci's Zombie with a turkey, Pieces with a turkey. And those movies, he would also say why they were rated whatever they were rated. So uh, if the movie had boobs in it, that meant that I should go buy, find that movie because I'm not going to be able to go rent an adult piece of cinema, but my parents will never know if I rent pieces, you know. There's, there's, I've, I've definitely seen someone who's, internet presence is horror boobs mm-hmm. and as soon as i saw that i said oh yeah no i get that yep yeah yep yeah no i've run into them at the monster mania they had they had had a table at one point they do some screenings i think in brooklyn yeah uh, i've seen them do that so uh, and uh, they've got a beautiful little uh, sticker that they have a uh, the tit patrol you know sleepaway camp 2 the kids and that they, they're going around so they have a little bag it's so weird because i feel awkward about it as an adult but as a kid, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Of yep. course. How yep. else were you going to... There was no internet. So, yeah. the fact, you know, I, I read a Nightmare on Elm Street we, 3 and I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, here we go. We even took it to another level where we'd get all the kids in the neighborhood over just after Halloween. You'd have all this Halloween candy and we'd pick movies, you know, we'd vote on it. And I'd always make sure to make the movies as loaded with that as possible. And they, they would vote on the movies and Return of the Living Dead was very popular. Obvious reasons, you know. Uh, Chainsaw Hookers, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, that was somewhat popular as well. So you know, got some that one you had to sneak in though because you can't tell your parents you're watching Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. So if yeah, you rent, it kind of tells the whole story there. So there's nothing nothing hiding under the if title. If you get it through the door of the house, you just keep it in the pillowcase until everyone goes to bed. Then you're good. So it was a fun introducing, and these people will still, they're not horror fans by any means, these kids today, they don't like it, but they will come up to me if they see me at reunions and, and whatnot and say, I just remember, just, you know, I became a man, you know, watching Return of the Living Dead, you know, send more paramedics, and they, they quote that out, and they'll all yell it. So. Do you correct them that they did not, in fact, become a man at that moment? Yeah, no, they, they still don't believe me about that, but they, they may be, in fact, some of the first, uh, you know, uh, sets of boobs that they've ever seen. Sure. I, I'm, uh, maybe it's possible. How did you go from then being a, a fan of these things to being actively involved in the community? I mean, were you aware, you know, as a young person, that there was a community of people who were really interested in these movies? So what started to happen was, um, I, you know, I was always kind of a collector, little bits, VHS tapes and whatnot. Didn't have a lot of it. Um, and I went through kind of a phase where I cleaned everything out and I wasn't going to have a lot of stuff. I wasn't going to be a collector anymore. I wasn't going to have a lot of things. Almost this John Lennon moment. And uh, so I kind of uh, went, went through that, that phase. And when I came out of it, I was like, you know, I, I, really, I really love being able to go out and, and these conventions were popping up at that point. They started, they had been evolving. They were becoming very popular at that point. I really hadn't been to any of them or screenings of any type. And so when I started going to screenings, the conventions opened up. And when I started going to the conventions, I met all these friends, these new friends at, at Exhumed and friends at, say, Monster Mania or Chiller. I realized that there was, there was a lot of people writing about it now that, that I hadn't previously been aware of. I learned about blogging. I had always written, but I had never done any of the blogging. So I got into that and uh, been asked to be part of a podcast, uh, the Dead Air podcast. So I, I joined that group up. And That's a podcast you do regularly. Uh, yes, we did that regularly for a while. It's still on the air, dead air, but uh, I have moved away to do a, a personal podcast called Horror Sexy. Um, that's kind of on hiatus while I'm, I'm currently, you know, sick, obviously. And, Can you explain and, what that's about? I mean, we yeah. talked about it, obviously, but, yeah, you know, yeah. other folks didn't hear that if they, if they don't already know what yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, so the, you've got the, the Dead Air podcast, which was a lot of old, older stuff, retrospectives. Uh, and the, the Horror Sexy podcast was dedicated to newer things, uh, newer products, Blu-rays. 
uh, just things that were coming out in the theater, more rele- but what I felt were more relevant topics. Uh, they do that as well on, on Dead Air, but I felt that the focus was different, and we wanted to change up the focus. So, uh, so we explored that avenue. So uh, again, on a hiatus currently, but uh, a lot of fun to do. But the, the writing and becoming p- part of that and, and joining in and trying to help out and just offer whatever services we could offer, you know, as friends and, and getting people together to either support a cause or support what people would, would whatever they would be selling. Like we've always, we always loved Diabolic DVD, you know, that's how, that's how you get your movies. That's how you get your stuff. So got to support that, you know, got to... You know, loved uh, Quiltface. You know, Quiltface provided some some amazing prize packages today for the for for giveaways for this event. Learning about his artwork and and how to support that, and so just being supportive, trying to get the word out there, trying to realize that people are artists and trying to make a living at it, and however we can help. Yeah. It, one of the things that we uh, we talked about via email before was. Uh, how I think other members of your family didn't really know what this weird world that you were involved in was, and they, you know, they were confused by that, and uh, and I guess you've had to, you know, explain to them what is this thing and why you're drawn to it and how it works. Yeah. So my my wife's not a horror fan. That's kind of weird because everyone assumes that just because you know you get married that you marry a horror fan. That's not true at all. No. Same same thing. My wife likes movies. Is very into all my nerd yep. stuff. And then there's this wall, and everyone assumes that she crosses it. And I'm like, no, she's not interested. Yeah. Even a little bit. Try to get her into, let's, let's see, the most recent movie, I think, was House uh, by the Cemetery. That was an amusing venture where she fell asleep. I couldn't even convince her of how funny it was and the, the gore she's not into. Dr. Freudstein didn't do it for her? She didn't even make it that far. She fell asleep. So uh, you know, I know what she won't be able to take. I know some of the more obscure stuff that's quiet, and uh, I know she won't take it. She does like some of the traditional stuff. She'll, she'll like The Shining and the creep shows and, and, and some of the Friday the 13th. Like she'll watch a Friday the 13th movie with me on, the, on Friday the 13th, but that's about as far as it goes. So she didn't realize how it was. My parents certainly had no idea this existed. So, I mean, this just past year, I brought my father to Monster Mania. He gets it now, and he loves it, and he's, he's a part of it. You know, he want, he's, uh, for my birthday this year, he's like, let's go. That's what we're doing. That's my gift to you. We're going to go and hang out and, and do Monster Mania. We're going to do it overnight, though, so that we can really hang out. I was like, that's, that's bold. All that's right. pretty serious. Yeah, I mean, that's dedication. So he really, he got it. I think he saw the friends, and he was making friends at the same time. Are, are you involved in punk rock as well, in, in addition to horror stuff? So um, I play in a band called Mental Decay. It's a hardcore band slash punk band. Uh, they've been around since the 80s. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of coming into it late in the game. I'm not one of the original members. And, it, uh, you know, they've got some, some recognition, uh, definitely locally. I wouldn't, I don't, I'm not sure how nationally, but they have a couple CDs out there. Uh, and it's, you know, derogatory, New Jersey, hardcore, funny punk rock, you know. So I play bass in that band. Uh, and I do like p- punk rock music a, a lot. I mean, I tend to stay toward things like the Misfits and, and, and horror punk in general for me. So was there a synergy between your um, horror fixation and with punk rock at all? Was like that, Did that ever interplay with each other? So when I was younger, I was trying to, I actually tried to do, I think what every horror fan who likes to play music does is I tried to form a band. I tried to form a band called the Vaudeville Vampires. And I had this band. That is a sick name, BT Dubs. Oh, it's a, it's a fun, it's a, it was a fun band. And I got, uh, it was a trio of us. 
the two members were not horror fans, so they just enjoyed playing the music, and I was writing songs about, you know, uh, one of the songs is called Devil Girls from Mars, 1950s, you know, as outer space flick, and just doing the, the, the typical way you'd see the misfits go. You know, you learn from your influences, and, and so I followed them a little bit, and ever since, anything related to it has always felt more like I'm coming up with concepts and I've never executed them. So someday there will be a, there's going to be a notebook of like songs that will need to get released or, or something of that and I'll record them. But uh, up until now, it's, it's more just a passion to conceptualize it rather than initiate it. The other idea was to come up with as many elaborate stage shows as possible, things like performing the entire Phantom of the Paradise with live you know, theatrical, like people do Rocky Horror, only you would do Fan of the Paradise, things of that type. You do uh, the music. Exactly, exactly. You know, who gets to play, you know, you know beef at that point, things of that type. And Wouldn't everyone want to be beef? Yeah, that's... No one thing. wants to be Paul Williams. Like, that's uh, not... No, yeah. I'll be Paul Williams. <laughs> you would. Joseph would make a great Paul Williams. <laughs> I'm a somewhere man. <laughs> <laughs> so, just coming up with ideas is more where we're at at this point, and there's nothing otherwise together. It's, uh, sure. yeah, I have a little notepad on my phone, I just drop ideas in there. That's where we're at. That's good. When you were diagnosed with the cancer, you decided to speak a lot about it publicly, and I guess, you know, some, some people choose to do that, but a lot of people don't. And I guess you were, are a public figure, so you made a choice. Uh, and I was curious, you know, what was behind your decision to talk about that and then to take the approach that you were going to, you know, fuck cancer up and kick cancer in the ass and so forth? And the, the idea was I started, the minute I got diagnosed, so they didn't know I had cancer when I went in for the initial surgery to pull it out. They thought it was a cyst. And so I woke up out of a daze of this, you know, this uh, head full of uh, whatever, uh, you know, whatever they put you under with. And I woke up, I'm like, you actually have cancer. And uh, we don't know what kind it is, so we're going to send it out for biopsy, but it's not going to be, it doesn't look like a great one. And they kind of knew it wasn't a good one to start off because of the type of cell they were seeing, the, what they saw, the, the colors and stuff. And it was big, and it was in my chest. And that's not a good place for cancer to be. Had you felt prior to that that there was a mass or something in your chest, something that was indicative of... I was running a half marathon. I was trying to run a half marathon. I was training to run a half marathon. And then my idea was to go run more and more. And uh, I was running fine. I came down with bronchitis. And uh, then they started saying, well, we see something in this x-ray, but the x-ray seems to be showing some fluid outside of your lung. That's not where it is when you have bronchitis or pneumonia. So they, they kind of dug deeper. So there was no feelings that, that it had come on, but it had spread because uh, what I have is called Ewing sarcoma. It's a very uh, aggressive cancer. It spreads like wildfire and it's very quick. Uh, it's actually usually found in kids. And so it's not found in, in adults. It's, it's makes treatment for it a little more difficult. Um, the other thing is uh, it makes finding clinical trials for it incredibly tricky because they're, uh, they, 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 doctors are typically not looking for it in persons my age. So that makes it uh, more difficult. So I think what made me want to come out and speak out about it was when I got off the table, I was looking at my wife and I saw how she was just distraught, you know? And my first, I think my, and I hear it comically, was my first thing was, you know, uh, I think I need some more morphine or whatever. I think I need that because I was like, I was just like, oh boy, this is it. Like, I was like, cancer, that's, that's gotta be it. And the next day I was like, no, this isn't how this is going. I get to write my own story here. I get to figure out how I'm gonna handle this. I can either go, woe is me, and treat myself like I'm a, a victim. And, and that, that people have their reasons for that. And 
I just didn't feel that I could. I, I, I have kids. I have to fight it. So uh, I felt that the only way to fight it was to take an attitude of fighting it, like, that you were going to come out. And, uh, you know, I watched professional wrestling when I was a kid like everybody else. And how does a professional wrestler, you know, fight? Well, you become either like the heel and you, you come with a presence and a front. And, uh, and to me, it's, you treat it almost comedically. You have to a little bit, you know. I started it off by coming up with different names for it or different, I'd adapt horror movie titles to, you know, the next round of chemo. It was, you know, uh, Nightmare on, you know, Ewing Sarcoma Street 3, you know, Tumor Warriors or something like that. We'd, and just, just different things like that, just to keep it fun, keep it lighthearted and people would laugh. And, and it really did help to form this kind of group around me that, that has always been very supportive ever since and, and people in the horror community. Right, right, right. And and people always have been telling me that like you're kind of the way you handle it is, is inspirational and I always feel you know, like I'm just kinda of humbled by it and I don't know how to take it and I just kinda of like, well, gee thanks and I kick around like somebody just mm-hmm. give me you know, like, Oh, you're pretty it's like, Oh thanks you know, but <laughs> you feel but I, I I didn't know quite how to take that. And I guess I understand why people feel that way. And, and I, I feel, feel I should embrace that and just try to go after it and attack it. And even when you get negative news at this point, you know, not, not every news that I, I don't always post is the, the most negative news, but I always like to take it and put a positive spin on it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I get a bad scan result, hey, we're going to fight it with some more chemo. That's the plan. You know, there's not, you know, we're not giving up, you know. At the point at which we give up, we might have a slightly different dialogue. If we have to give up, we, get, we have a different dialogue there. But uh, that's not where we are. You know, we're, we're at a point where we have a lot on the table, and I think that that's, that's what people need to hear, too, that they do have a chance, you know, especially, I'm in my 30s, you know. I'm not, uh, I've had a good result from a lot of the chemos and treatments they've tried, so I might as well keep up with that and keep the positive energy going, you know. You feel the doctors have been responsive to your attitude and that they felt that that had a a positive effect? I think in other situations with something like this where Ewing sarcoma's got about a 20% survival rate, you know, that's that's about what you get out of it. And that does include kids who typically, like I said, it's a pediatric cancer. So, you know, it does include a a, a more... um, uh, a group that's more susceptible to its, its effects and it hits them differently. Adults, it hits you in the legs first, typically. Uh, in children, it hits you in the spine or in the brain. So there's a different method for that. Um, you know, when the doctors see me, they seem to want to come with it with everything. They're like, let's bring our best games to it and we, they try stuff, you know. I say, I'm willing to try higher doses, whatever you need to give me, you know, for this. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid of side effects. You know, I've, in my 20s, I was a party animal. I'm no longer a party animal. Yeah, I think when you become a dad, you kind of chill out a little bit. And, you know, I used to be a really solidly good booze hound. And once you have kids, you stop that. And I said, no matter what chemo you're going to give me, it can't be worse than the Southern Comfort champagne hangover I had that New Year's Eve. I was like, I don't care. It just can't be that bad. The puking will never be that bad. You know, so uh, that's one way to look at it. You know, the thing that you that you uh, you fear from the side effects are the same things that we get from everyday stuff. You know, so I've always treated it like that. I think, and then the doctors have been again responsive to it like that. They the, that my energy kind of feeds with them. Have you had any uh, mixed responses to your attitude about it? You you know you you're going at this in a positive way. It seems like you're bringing humor to it has everyone embraced that or have some people found it off-putting or 
not responded the way you would hope they would respond. The only thing, and I won't call this negative. Some people want me to uh, take a slightly more serious approach, and sure, and sure. maybe in terms of style of treatment, uh, you know, I rely on a lot of the chemo, the radiation, things of that type. Some people want me to try certain treatments. I'm not about to play guinea pig with myself. I'm letting the doctors do that. So yeah, totally. I'll tell you, and there's a on the internet you can cure cancer with everything. Dandelion. Also, everything causes cancer on the internet too. Yeah. So I've been told I have to. I, I like barbecue. I like to cook barbecue. That's one of the pastimes. I don't cook a lot of it, but I cook enough. You don't know how many times I was like, I am going to barbecue a steak, and wow, the number of things were oh, barbecuing causes cancer. I was like. You know, I, I have it already. I think we're good. <laughs> and by the way, Ewing sarcoma doesn't have a known cause. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's not caused by, I didn't smoke to get this. I asked my daughter, I'm like, you know, I smoked when I was younger. Is, is this it? Is that how? And like, no, that's not how you got it. You think God is punishing you for being yeah. a sinner? That's what I figured. I would assume that's, my, that's where I would go to first. I, I, my, my, my go-to was I've always, you know, been a supporter of every, you know, just love and, and, and whatnot. And I think that my support of all communities being able to be freely loving is, is it. That's the reason I have cancer. Negative karma. Yeah, I, I deserve it, you know. And, and you know, the... The religious groups are right. The cooking yeah. idea is particularly humorous to me because the idea that somehow you would get extra cancer. Yeah. That yeah. you're going to add on, you know, excess cancer or something. I, we asked our doctor, I was like, hey, do I have to cut down on, you know, my grilling? He's like, no, I think you should just eat what you can at this point because the fact that you haven't lost 50 pounds, you're doing something right. And I right. said, so those milkshakes every day. And they're like, yeah, actually, those are okay as long as you're. You're staying healthy. I mean, there was a there was a point. I went from 230 pounds down to 185, and I did this very quickly. And it got and it was this is up front, you know, yeah. and and you're like, this is it. This is how people go. They lose all their weight and then they're done. And I said, this is not happening. So I went out and started my milkshake diet, and I gained it all back plus some, which was, uh, you know, that was good. It was good. <laughs> good for you, man. And, and it didn't cause extra cancer either. But and other things. People, uh, everybody wants me to be uh, this avid pot smoker. And I was like, well, I'm not, not going to smoke anything at this point. I mean, I'll consume whatever. But, you know, it's, 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 if that treatment is going to work, that's great. I'm all about it. But we're trying something new right now. You don't want to have two treatments going simultaneously because you want to know which, which one's working. So yeah. hemp oil, hemp oil, hemp oil. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. I want to try that too. But let's we've got to scientifically rule out this first and and so i've been heavily invested in the medical community right now because that's the stage we're at things start to fail we can't you know find medical ways to do it i'll be open you know give me the dandelion tea we'll go for it let's make my my blood sugar you know my blood levels alkalized as you know they can be and you know so there's there's that's where i think i've experienced the pushback is, is from that, you know, I'm not listening to everybody's advice, and uh, that's family, friends, people I don't know telling me how to, to solve it. Everybody surely has an opinion that they'd like to share yeah. with you. I mean, I saw this when my father had cancer. People, a lot of people who have no knowledge of anything had an opinion that they were happy to express, which was usually just embarrassing and uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's always, uh, did you get a second opinion? Yes. Did you get a third? It's like, okay, we can only, there's only, you know, we're working with some top sarcoma guys in New York City. We're good with opinions at this point. And, you know, uh, again, I'm open to clinical trials. I'm open to experimentation, however they want to handle it at this point. But yeah, everyone's got an opinion and some people are very forceful with them. But yeah. I was curious, you, you said that you have, you have three children. Uh, all three are rather young. 
how did you approach them to tell them about what was going on with you and what they would stand to see and, and all of that? Because I imagine that, you know, considering their young ages, it's very difficult for them to process that and understand what's happening. So it's different for each one. You know, the, the youngest is uh, just, she's under two, so she doesn't have, you know, she's not really aware of it. But the goal there with, with me and her is for me to spend as much time with her as possible, you know, just to be there. You know, if this thing does go sour, I want to be have been there as much. I mean, you always want to be, but that's how I choose to focus my energy with her. My five-year-old, you know, she knows daddy goes to the hospital. She knows he spends a week there sometimes, and we do a lot of Skyping, and she understands I'm sick. She knows that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be good, but she's very supportive. You know, she's always, you know... She comes in in her Doc Mix stuff in gear, and she's always checking on me, you know, make, bringing me whatever, you know, water and stuff like that to make sure I'm good and healthy. So she gets it on, on that level, and she's great. You know, a lot, very positive energy. But, you know, the way we handle that is just being able to try to spend the time, especially when I'm away, because we have a lot of, you know, rituals that involve being around her and, you know, reading to each other. You know, I read to her, she reads back, and... We just try to maintain that as much as possible. Um, my older daughter, who is 12 now, she's my stepdaughter. And her father passed away from a rare type of cancer. Uh, he did not respond to any of the chemo treatments up front. And he, he died rather quickly. It was in under six months. Um, it was called angiosarcoma. It's, it's a nasty cancer. It's the cancer of the blood vessel lining. So once it's in there, it goes just everywhere because, you know, your blood vessels just carry it wherever. So he, he died rather quickly. So explaining it to her, I mean, she had seen it happen once. We had to assure her that it was different because I was being responsive to the, the treatments and that she would have more time with me. But you know, it doesn't have to go the positive route. And she's, again, she's been very supportive of it. And she, she gets it. Um, I think it, it, she's just, she's entering her teens. So for her, her life is surrounding around a different thing. And, and what I try to do there with her is I don't want it to negatively impact her life. So I always try to maintain that, you know, I don't talk about it with her unless it seems like something that she wants to talk about. I don't want it to impact her going out and having fun or, or whatnot. So we always try to, you know, if she needs to talk about it, I'll be as open as you want. I'll tell her how I'm feeling and the results of scans, the results of whatever, you know, we can talk about it. But in general, we, you know, every once in a while she'll come up and she'll say, so dad, how, how are you feeling? How was this, you know, this thing? And she acts almost older, you know, than she is. And, and you're just like, wow, just, just a good kid, you know, wow. That's, it's really something you almost didn't expect to hear from a 12 year old, the way she presented it. And so, yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit about <clears throat> the ways that horror has been a part of your adjusting to this situation. When I, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but when I interact with normals, like people for whom this is not a part of their life, they often express like when I'm sad or when I'm dealing with something different, difficult, that's when they want to not think about stuff like that. And they often ask, how can you watch horror movies when you are upset? How can you deal with angry music when you're angry? How can you, you know what I mean? So, ha, you know, in what ways has your engagement with horror, things that are scary or disturbing or dealing with death, how has it helped as you're dealing with the situation or how has it affected the way you handle the situation? It's interesting. At first, um, you know, I was diagnosed around Christmas time and not that I watch a ton. I watch a lot of horror all year round, you know, Christmas sure. horror or whatever. And, uh, 
you know, I actually shut down for a time and didn't watch any horror. I couldn't watch anything negative uh, ne- with a negative connotation to it. I had to be positive or funny. I mean, I remember watching, I was watching American Splendor, that movie with Paul Giamatti. Yeah, about, totally. And he gets cancer. And, uh, you know, I, I take a lot of just, you know, uh, just influence from that, that kind of movie. I was watching It's a Wonderful Life on repeat. And that's a favorite of mine anyway. But, you know, just trying to keep a different frame of mind. And as I came back to, to the horror and, and let it back in, I started using it in, in more of a funny way, talking about the cancer in terms of horror, in terms of movies, in terms of ways I would kill it, you know. What, how would the, this tumor in my, started to my leg and there's a big old tumor there, so what's gonna eat it today, you know? Is it gonna be Jaws? Is it gonna be Deadly Spawn? Is it gonna be a gun? Is it gonna be a cocoon gun that wraps it up? Uh, I would do creative visualizations which, you know, you just sit there and you visualize, uh, say, the tumor in your leg getting smaller. And I would do that when I was getting radiation. And I would use images from movies. It could be, uh, like, if it was Friday the 13th when I'm getting it, well, then I'm imagining Jason Voorhees with a, you know, a, count, a counselor in a sleeping bag slamming it down and killing someone. Like, that's what's happening. And I'm using it, and I'm like, this seems totally normal. And I can't imagine, when I started posting little bits of what I was doing, some of the, you know, I'm friends with quite a few people on Facebook, and it's, it's kind of it's diverse, right? It's the, the the horror folks. It's the people that I've just known forever, and it's it's you know my mother's friends, you know people who want to follow along on this cancer journey and and who have wanted to show the support. Boy, did they get a load of what things are really like, you know? The, <laughs> the normal people got a dose of that, and they found it funny. You could tell that they were laughing about it, and yeah. it was a very positive thing. Yeah. But I think a lot of them, there were a few comments. How could you watch a horror movie at the time like this? You should be watching something positive. Well, the kind of horror that I like is always something that's entertaining. I watch a movie like Creepshow and I laugh because Creepshow is a funny movie. And Creepshow is a campy movie. But a lot of the stuff that I like is because it's a little campy. It's because it's a little funny. Uh, I don't like movies that are overly serious. And a lot of what you see today is just very serious and and very realistic. So what I primarily watch, monster movies, things of that type, things with an element of fantasy in them that make them fun. And so it, it doesn't help you completely dissociate from it, but in a sense, you, you are watching these movies with a sense of positivity. There's something positive flowing through you. There's no, I'm not watching it feeling down and sullen and, wor- and, and thinking, you know, gloom and doom. That's not the way I've ever watched a horror movie. Yeah, they stimulate the, pre- the pleasure center of your yeah. brain and also the nostalgia uh, center of your brain. And, and I think that that probably floods you with this yes. feeling of good, good, good feelings. That's exactly how I watch them. Always with an eye on, and maybe when I saw it or, or the people that I will enjoy with. Or when we watch, uh, when we go into a horathon and we have a shared experience, that's, that's an experience that we all have together. And and it's a celebration of it. Uh, you know, I'm not sitting down watching Martyrs and, and feeling good about it. I'm not going to watch a Serbian film and think, ah, oh, yes, the tumor in my leg has got a uh, brown paper bag over its head. That's exactly the visualization I'm going for. Try to keep it more, you know, lighthearted. You know, maybe it's got a cake in its hand and it's walking around, you know, Bedelia and all that stuff. Maybe that's the way it goes. Eaten by roaches, maybe. Exactly. Eat by roaches, buried alive. I buried alive. <laughs> You know, buried in a crate or something eats it. I, I just call it Billy. I call the tumor Billy. I don't know. I laughed all the way through Martyrs. So I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. But. That's you know, and that's the other thing. I could just sit there and, and you know do that to it. I don't know. That that would almost be painful in my mind. Yeah, right? No, that's right. Like you're sitting, if you try to visualize, creatively visualize what's happening to your leg, and you're saying, "Yeah, I really want to burn its skin off." I was like, Wait, no, no. 
It's got to be sure. monster. As long as there's a monster doing it, I think that's where you're okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to curate the the screenings for today. You want to talk about that for a little bit? Why did you choose these two movies? So uh, I just worked with the Exhumed on what movies would be would be a good fit. And uh, they we kind of come to the, the idea that, you know, a good double feature would be Killer Clowns with Deadly Spawn. And that Harry and I had just talked. And he said, we're kind of thinking this might be a good pairing. And I said, that's perfect. That's the perfect pairing. And it's the perfect pairing because it's fun. It's uh, two movies that need to be seen by most fans and aren't always seen. I, I know that I saw, you know, Deadly Spawn uh, projected as a result of Exhumed, but not everyone else is going to have that opportunity. And as much as I've asked, you know, friends who do screenings to, to host it, they haven't. And, and they're not necessarily going to. So that was a, a Deadly Spawn for me is just a treat to be able to see. I'm glad we're not talking over that film then. Right. No, and, 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 and I love Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It's, I think, to me, that's a movie that's it's got some popular opinion. People want to see that movie projected. They haven't. It is, I believe, somewhat rare to find a print of it. So finding that is hard. And uh, it's, a, it's a favorite. It's fun. You know, just great practical effects. So, so that was really what came to it. The two movies have a similar theme. I liked it because the theme kind of had that idea of alien invaders and whatnot. And when I was, you know, up uh, before just talking, you know, and I was saying that, oh, the cancer is the alien invader. And so it kind of fits. It really, I joke, but I was like, that's the way I think about it in my head. It's, it's, it's that and, and anything where there's an alien invasion, you know. Uh, I could easily take my own experience and treat it like it's a Cronenberg kind of thing. And I think that's almost more difficult to handle. Treating, treating your own illness like it's a Cronenberg movie as opposed to an alien invasion movie. Alien invasion is a lot more fun than, than the Cronenberg. It's the, deeply disturbing right. the thought of the, the you know. The Cronenbergs never end well. They're always really upsetting. You don't want a ravenous sex parasite inside of you. I was going to say, that's actually, yeah. I, I was going to say, Slither's the one where I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know, that's all right. That was all right. When they're yeah. on the pool, I'm like, right. that's fine, they're fine. But every other Cronenberg, it ends and you're like, oh. Right, right. right. It's, it, yeah, so, so I think there's different ways to handle it. So I think that made sense. You know, and we, I, I had gone through just a, just a list of what was available to us and, and different ideas, played around with some ideas, and I think that that made sense. Having a common theme, fun and, and a little gory and definitely, you know, practically affected from the era that people love, the 1980s. Uh, Deadly Spawn's 83, this is, 80, you know, uh, Killer Clowns is 88, so, yeah. And well below, and well below. you know, that's a cult classic. And, yeah. you, did, uh, you did one of the commentaries on Harry Guerrero's uh, Garage House Pictures' new trailer, Trauma 3. Uh, could you explain how that came to be and what you did and how you approached doing a commentary over a block of trailers sure uh so harriet approached me said you know we'd, we'd love for you to be a part of this experience uh we have you know some some a slot broken out for each you know year and he explained the project of you know there's going to be uh you know a block for each year of trailers and would you would you be willing to do one and i said that'd be great i, I love the idea of doing one i haven't done a commentary but i've always you know we've done com- we've done the, the commentary like i said um, when i was part of that dead air podcast i had done uh, a fan commentary for Shockma. It's not out. It's on, I think it's on YouTube, but that's about it. It's not uh, out there on the disc or anything like that. But I, I really jumped at the opportunity. Now, in preparing for it, I, I looked at the, the trailer list and most of the movies I was familiar with. In fact, I, mean, I think every one but one. And I can't remember the, exa- the title of it. Are you talking specifically about the year that yeah, you year did? That I was yeah, a lot. You, you were, right. so did you already say 1989? Yeah, 1989. Uh, and, and I wasn't given a look at the rest of it. It was just my piece of it, so I knew what was there. 
and and the only part I mean I knew where I was when I was watching the the Leviathan trailer or the you know the Deep Star Six trailer like you know where you are when you see those trailers for those years and have just a pile to talk about it but whether it's your recollection for it or you know just just remembering that every movie in 89 had to do with an undersea horror adventure, you know, whether, whether, and if you start really looking at it more than just what was theatrically done, it's even broader, just the, the, the cult movies that were coming out to pair up during that period. But uh, there was one movie in there, again, cannot remember the name uh, offhand. Uh, it had not been put out on DVD. It had not been put out on VHS. And it's one that hairs like, I haven't, I haven't seen it either, and I just know it existed. I found a one sheet for it under a different name than it was, and so you're sitting there doing research on it. There's not much to say, but it was good to know that it was out there, and you're you're hoping to see it arise, and maybe something like this is how it how it Gets. takes its way back onto some kind of digital format, and it it really to me gave credence to why the projects like this exist. You've got movies that aren't on any format that you can reasonably get your hands on. Are you attempting to address each respective trailer? Because I imagine they're running 15, 30 seconds each. Are you just throwing out a few facts about each movie as it appears on the screen? Yeah, just talking about either something that I knew about it or something, my experience with where I had seen it or what, what the context was for me to see it. Talking about each trailer, less about 1989 as a whole in, in mind. Uh, 1989 was not the strongest year for me personally. It's not a year. What was? Uh, I, I'd say, I mean, everyone, if you look back at horror history and you look at, you know, the years, 81 is pretty much what everybody goes to. That's the go-to year for everything came out in 81. So if you look at 1981, you could probably sit there and just talk about the influence it had over the genre. 89, it was it was a little tougher for me to... to gravitate towards uh, but something like 81 would be a little bit more my my norm of my forte where I would stick with more your wheelhouse right yeah yeah and I think and that's probably true for a lot of horror fans whether they realize it or not if you start going through the list of 81 it's it's like the golden year for uh, for slasher films especially I don't, I don't think I've ever really looked now, now I'm like super curious yeah. like ooh yeah what is year. what what makes the 81 year so good do you know Joseph or? it would be what American Werewolf in London uh, Wolfen the Howling yeah. uh, Extra I think was 82 yeah, uh, I, think, I think things like My Bloody Valentine. Valentine yeah I was gonna say that yeah yeah there was I, yeah I was 10 in 81 and my father was taking me to see a lot of these movies when they came out especially if they had werewolves and that was a big year for werewolves so yeah 81 would be would loom large for me too because seeing all those things on the big screen and seeing them with him uh you know meant a lot to me yeah i I did a project at one point just to i don't know watch every horror movie that i could from 1980 and it wasn't nearly as influential for me i mean there was plenty of good movies and i think one toxic zombies was something interesting to see or uh, we are going to eat you, which was actually shown by Exhumed at a, at a horathon, which is not something I would have ever thought I was going to see projected. It's not the kind of stuff that in eighty in nineteen eighty, though eighty is a strong year. It's not the kind of stuff that you remember as much. Eighty one was that that strong year, I think, for me the the one that really. And I was actually very young. I was I was one in in that year. So uh, it, it's really more you know when I started. Uh, gravitating toward horror, it just endlessly would focus back on that year. Yeah, and not, and not of choice, it would just happen. Yeah, uh, 
It's at 170 so, degrees in here. Yeah. And I feel like my <laughs> brain is melting out of my I'm, I'm sweating like I'm just going to keep wiping. I, just, I'm sorry, I guess guys. the only thing I want to... No, no one can see that. So you, actually, if you didn't say it, yeah, no one oh, would have yeah. ever known. Yeah. I guess uh, the only thing I was going to ask is you said uh, the podcasts you were working on are on hiatus. Is the website also on hiatus? Um, the website, yeah. There's not much going on there. Whenever okay. we post, it's just... The website was going to be uh, almost like an online zine. Sure. And, and it's set up to be that online zine still. And that's, that's as far as we went with it. We stopped it and... You know, just it's when I got sick. That's the it was, it's horrorsexy.com right. is the the site, and we're on we host the thing out of SoundCloud. So it's just you go to horrorsexy um, SoundCloud, and that's where the the, the yeah the podcast is. Uh, the site that I personally do is docterror.com, and that's d o c t e r r o r.com, and that's it's a lot of reviews. Uh, it it hasn't always been a lot of reviews. Of movies and in fact I actually try to get away from doing as much reviewing but it's very hard because I love it you know I love being able to watch a movie and and help people find them whether it's a movie that people love or or that needs that the physical media you know to me that's it needs a release it needs people to support it and so that's in a sense my it's my job you know do you have a favorite thing on there you'd like people to check out on there um you know uh, the, my favorite thing, and it would be hard to tell you how to get there other than to search it through the page. Uh, we host hosted Italian Horror Weeks for years, and that would be a week where we just get guest bloggers together, do giveaways and and, and different prizes. Uh, Diabolic was always has always been a great partner in, in do- donating something for that week, and we do a giveaway, and we'd have a lot of guest bloggers on to do different articles. And as a part of that, uh, we would create eight bit fake 8-bit versions of uh, horror movie games and that could be you know we start off very basic uh, somebody we have somebody who does the music and somebody does the screenshots and then I started getting more familiar with Photoshop and would Photoshop little bits of animation that I could create on I'm not a, an animator but it's whatever we could create so if people want to check out anything there it would be the 8-bit uh, games that we've you know created whether it be just the screenshots from them or the, the YouTube videos that we've put together from that. Uh, we've done a little bit of everything. We did Zombie was our first one. Uh, Friday the 13th is a big hit because I included every one of the movies and, and tried to get the music all in there from all of them. Most animated of all of them. Uh, did Demons uh, and uh, we did Conquest that same year. And Conquest we did with Ronnie James Dio's music because as much as I liked the original music, I thought how cool would it be to play a video game with, you know, that, that felt like medieval and Conquest is like this medieval movie and that's what Dio is. So, you know. Perfect. Yeah, so. And I guess just to wrap it up, where are you at in your treatment? I mean, see, now you have more of a beard than I could probably grow in my entire life. So we, what's, what's been going on? With so here's where we are. So, um, uh, Ewing sarcoma's got a regular treatment that you kind of follow, and we came to the end of that, and it wasn't small enough. So we have to try new things now to get the tumors small enough to be able to be operable to take them out. Right now, there's just no way to get it small enough to cut around it, uh, cut around the tumor to have a, a what's called a clean margin, and so we're still trying to shrink it. That means we try new chemos, and unfortunately, this new round of chemo that we tried actually was unsuccessful, but it did have the nice added. Uh, lack of side effect of letting me grow some hair, so I do have a little bit of fuzz. Um, I won't. Looks good. Thank you. I won't. Uh, it's. It was going to grow in. I was going to cut it back a little bit, uh, but 
we're going to have to, unfortunately, it's all going to fall out because the next round of chemo that we're trying will will have that side effect again. And uh, we just keep trying new chemos. That's where we're at at this point. Get it smaller, get it operable, and then cut it out. We have a surgeon who's ready to go as soon as it uh, it's small enough. But unfortunately, like, you know, you're just try you're, you're experimenting. What will this rare cancer respond to? And it responded very well to the initial round until it stopped, which is normal. Uh, it's like... You can think of it in terms of bacteria, how bacteria stops, uh, you know, becomes uh, used to the, the, you know, the medicine you're throwing at it. And so it did, well, yeah. And it's the same thing with cancer. It will become eventually used to it, which is what our first successful round came to. Now we're in the, that secondary phase. So it's, it's a scary time because initially you're seeing a lot of results. And right now, what we're seeing is some some more of the, the, the guessing game. And that's the hard part. Cancer's always up and down. You know, you're always uh, trying new things. And so staying positive through that isn't always easy. So that initial feeling of being positive, not that it's been hard to maintain or bring about, but you know, there's moments where I definitely feel the negativity kind of creep in. Something like this, this event that they're holding today, for us, exhumed, you know, it means that much more. It means the support of the community during times like this, especially when it just happened to coincide with some slightly negative news. It's not terribly negative, just, you know, it's not the positive news that you'd, you'd want from a scan. It's important. And I think that that's where, you know, you can get over these humps and, and take on the energy that people want to give you, the positive energy. And don't eat barbecue. And don't, don't, don't eat anything. Because that's, I know that that's why this is all happening. It's because I ate some barbecue, and now the treatment obviously doesn't work. Goddamn McRib sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> the McRib. It's the sauce. <laughs> you know, I'd probably say to that that you don't probably start smoking when you get diagnosed with cancer. That's probably the other thing you don't, you know, maybe you don't have to start doing things that are, you know, taking in known carcinogens. But I think if you're eating a little barbecue, you're probably all right. I know somebody who had uh, who was diagnosed with lung cancer at one point, kept smoking. I was like, I don't think you can do that anymore. I think that that maybe makes it worse. It's a little bit more of a commitment yeah, at that point. I think it's point. directly related there. Yeah. So. Okay, thank you so much for talking to us. Well, and, thank uh, you so much for having me along, you know. Yeah. yeah, this is great. On behalf of us, we send you all of our love as well and all of our positive vibes. Thank you, thank you. I concur. folks. Thank you so much too, Joseph. And thanks for this awesome event. Very uh, I, I will thank myself for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. Thank you so much.